the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Welcome once again, folks, to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. You're listening to 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. Uh, Alan Dempsey, every week, faithfully, uh, does our engineering. And Andrew Herdliska does the producing. Uh, Paul Gilbert is the lead pastor of Four Oaks Community Church in Tallahassee. Uh, He is my guest, uh, along with Dave Harvey. Uh, They've written a book called Letting Go, Rugged Love for Wayward Souls. Zondervan is the publisher. Uh, Paul, good to hook up with you. Thanks for joining me here. Hey, Pat. Thanks so much for having me. It's a a privilege. Why was it important to write this book? To be honest, we found ourselves, I think, early in our pastoral ministry, Dave and I, sort of floundering in terms of figuring out the best way to help people who were dealing with a wayward loved one. And, And sometimes those were prodigal children, certainly. Other times, wayward spouses, uh, close family friends, maybe members of the church or the small group, who, for whatever reason, had made choices to to sort of um, go rogue, you know, really move out of the relationships that God had called them to be, to, to no longer be faithful in them. And we really wrestled with what is the best way to love and engage folks who are who are in that who are in that place and. I think the book was really born out of a desire to kind of biblically ask, God, how would you have us love and care for and shepherd these folks? Not only those who are walking through this, um, but those who are, I mean, who kind of catch the debris, the relational debris, whether it's a spouse or parents or, or what have you. So I think that's really what drove us to, to write this path. You open your book with the topic, Break Glass, The Emergency Is Here. Uh, fill us in on that one, please. I think that there is a there's a sense, a crisis point oftentimes that happens in wayward situations where you know that there's issues in the relationship or problems or fissures or, or what have you, but oftentimes it's the crisis that that brings things to a head in a, in a pretty pronounced way, whether it's the announcement of a, of a spouse that they're having an affair and are leaving the family or a child who um, has been sneaking out of the house and, and now has been arrested or somebody's been caught in some kind of illicit addiction. And so, so it's really these crises that have, that have brought people to, to these places. But as you begin to unpack them, you really find out, wow, these, these are things typically you know, a long time in the making and a product of decisions and patterns and behaviors that, um, that, that have been present for a long time. These things just didn't happen, you know, out of, out of thin air, so to speak. And so that we really are talking there about people who find themselves in precisely those kinds of places. What does popping the grenade pin mean? <laughs> well, I think that, that really what we're, what we're talking about there is kind of coming face-to-face with the actions that this person has, has taken. So, you know, when we, when we think about popping the grenade bin, you know, there, there, there's an explosion that's about to, to happen. And so we're really looking at their, you know, looking there at what are the, what, what are the things that have precipitated this? What are the, t- the characteristics typically um, of someone Who's 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 gone rogue, and we kind of talked there about personal irresponsibility. Um, you know, the the fact that that they see kind of this the, the way we see themselves at the center 
of the universe that that they are threatening to to renounce their roles and the relationships that they're in that they're kind of making a, a declaration of independence and so these we're really really looking there pat at you know what 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 is being outwardly manifested that's resulting in this kind of massive explosion paul gilbert is my guest uh paul and his writing partner dave harvey have put the book together uh letting go uh now talk about the way of the wayward uh if you would paul yeah i think that we have to kind of search for some biblical categories to understand what you know w- what are we observing here when we when we when we see a person who is who is straying from the lord straying from their relationships and such and i think that the part of the profile we see there is is the is the is the profile of the fool in the book of Proverbs, where you know the Solomon tells us the fool says in his heart there is no God, and and while the a, a prodigal uh, may or may not be an atheist, they certainly are acting as if God is not in view here. That that my actions, my um, responsibilities, don't really touch on anything except except myself and. Oftentimes we see this foolishness sort of come to light in the fact that, you know, people who've had long-term roles as husbands, wives, fathers, mothers, children, spouses, you know, parish members, what have you, have decided, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go at it alone. I'm, I'm tired of doing this. Um, they may renounce the, um, the, the, the central relationships that have bound these things and their roles together. And so oftentimes this is really what we see sort of manifesting itself um, with people who've decided to, to, to kind of walk away from what they have. And that leads to uh, what the wayward want. Uh, what do they want? Wayward want, I think, choices without consequences. So every wayward prodigal really wants to be able to be free to choose what they want to do, but at the same time to, to not experience the consequences, and when they do, they can end up being very angry and belligerent. Um, I think that the, the wayward want autonomy without accountability. So who doesn't want to be king of the world while at the same time not having to answer to, to anyone for it? And oftentimes, Pat, they really, this is, I think, important, leaving without loss. They, there, there's a sense in which the, the wayward um, wants to be able to experience all of the benefits of relationship without the attendant responsibilities and accountability. And so a lot of times you'll, you'll see wayward folks wanting to, to walk away from what they're called to do, but at the same time um, not wanting to experience the attendant consequences that, that come with that. And so those are just things oftentimes, and, and all those are not present in every circumstance, but they do seem to exhibit a pattern with, with folks who are wayward. Now, let's move to this topic. Uh, actually, it's a two-parter. Love has teeth. Uh, you do part one, and love has teeth, part two. Uh, why is that worthy of two sections, two chapters? Well, I think that's a great question, Pat. I think part of this is that we're oftentimes confused, even as Christians, about what it means to, to love someone. So we, we think about love in, in sentimental categories or romantic categories or erotic categories. But how the Bible oftentimes defines love is is entirely different, and so I think that in order to really get our handle on on what what are we talking about here in terms of biblical love or, or rugged love, what, what what does that mean? Where do we see that in the scriptures? And I think we really felt like we wanted to be clear that you know we're not coming up with a, a new construct of of love. This is really just you know good old-time, you know, religion, so to speak, that has its roots in the Bible. But we really wanted to be clear there what we what we meant by rugged love, and that's why we have a couple of chapters devoted to it. My guest uh, from Tallahassee, Florida, and he and his partner have written a terrific book. Paul Gilbert is the lead pastor of Four Oaks Community Church in Tallahassee. Uh, we've got another segment with Paul, so stay with us. When we come back, uh, we're going to talk about pursuing the wayward. 
And uh, another key point, how do we know when it's time to let go? Uh, Then the shame of loving the wayward and the wall of weariness. A lot of interesting topics ahead for my guest, Paul Gilbert. Uh, You're listening to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour every weekend right here on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Uh, We get to hook up here, and we're always very, very pleased when you join us. So we've got more with Paul Gilbert from Tallahassee. Stay with us. These messages, and then we'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. You know, I'm not a genius about money. I love my credit cards, and they love me. I was using them as a source of income, and then I got behind in my payments, and creditors were calling. I figured I had a problem, and I didn't know how to deal with it. I heard about Trinity, so I called and talked to a counselor. In half an hour, we worked out a plan. Now I've got one easy monthly payment, a lower interest rate, and I'm getting out of debt. If you're in an endless cycle of paying on credit card balances that never seem to go away... And get ready for a toll-free number that will put you on a path to financial recovery. Trinity will consolidate your accounts, put a stop to late fees and over-limit charges, reduce your interest, and possibly improve your credit score. You'll save thousands. If your debt has you down, we should talk. Call 1-800-990-6976. That's 1-800-990-6976. Call 1-800-990-6976. Are you in pain after a recent fall or car accident? Hi, this is Dr. Esther Pichardo. If you're in pain right now, dial pound 250 on your mobile device and say, I'm in pain. That will connect you to advanced physical medicine. After a car accident, your work, the insurance, the loss of your car, everything is a concern and your life changes in a matter of seconds. Material things can be replaced, but your health cannot be. If you're in pain right now, dial pound 250 on your mobile device and say, I'm in pain. Even if the pain is not severe in the first few days after an accident, studies show that physical injuries can get worse with time. If you had an accident and you're still in pain, dial pound 250 on your mobile device and say, I'm in pain. That will connect you to advanced physical medicine with offices in Orlando, Hunters Creek, and Poinciana. Advanced physical medicine. If you are in pain, dial pound 250 on your mobile device and say, I'm in pain. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Paul Gilbert is the co-author of Letting Go. Uh, As advertised, Paul, Pursuing the Wayward. I want you to tell us about that. I think this really builds off the previous two chapters when we we think about um, what it is it means to love the wayward and and really, these, these, these three chapters are kind of, 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 a, of, a, of the same cloth where we're really asking, okay, what does it mean to love someone who's, who's straying? And we're gonna, we talk in the book about, you know, love means oftentimes enforcing consequences. It means uh, letting prodigals experience the, the fruits of their, of their choices. Um, it, it, it can mean uh, really... Um, you know, having the courage to entrust them to the Lord instead of constantly rescuing them. And so I think this idea about pursuit by releasing, you know, it's a, it's a construct I think we see in the Bible so many times. For example, in the story of the prodigal um, in Luke, where the prodigal son asks the father to give him his inheritance, and the father does, but the father releases him, meaning he, he goes and journeys to the distant country. The, the, the father does not allow him to, to reside at home. He doesn't allow him, you know, free Wi-Fi and Internet while he sort of chills in his rebellious state. He leaves home because he has to leave home. He's asked for his release. His father has given it. And I think oftentimes in, in prodigal wayward situations, you have, you have these circumstances where, um, where people are, are doing everything they can to to hold on to the relationship with the prodigal. The prodigal ends up sort of having all the leverage and the power. And what we see consistently is scripture and, and whether it's God's people, the Israelites being 
sent to exile in Babylon or the prodigal son or many other circumstances where, where God oftentimes releases them to experience the consequences of walking outside of his graces um, so that they are tutored to, to return to him. You know, we see this in 1 Corinthians 5, for example, where Paul talks about setting the, the believer outside the fellowship of the church, not, not to punish him, but in fact to restore him so that he will be able to experience life outside of what God's graces are. And, and if we're not prepared to love ruggedly in this way, if we're not prepared to, um, to, to really press forward um, with this kind of love, then oftentimes we just find ourselves enabling, find ourselves rescuing, we find ourselves sort of in these perpetual states where the prodigal is not brought to a point of having to make a choice and understand the consequences of that choice. Our guest is Paul Gilbert. Uh, we're talking about his book, Letting Go, uh, Rugged Love for Wayward Souls. Uh, the next topic, Paul, I want you to talk about is how do we know when it's time to let go? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, there's, you know, all, obviously, let me just say this, Pat. I mean, it, it should be self-evident. All of us are wayward ultimately, in our relationship with God. Um, you know, that's why God sent, sent Jesus to, to die on the cross for us. That's why he's pursued us with his love. And so when we talk about letting go, we're really talking about where, where our, our hands have been forced to, to an extent that we really don't have a lot of other options. And, and oftentimes that happens by, by, by virtue of the fact that the, the words that you're using don't seem to have effect anymore. Uh, the prodigal doesn't take them into their heart, doesn't, doesn't really respond to them. Uh, in fact, you may not even be able to, to, to count on what the person is saying as being actually true or not. And, and I think when you, when you get to a place where you're stuck, so to speak, your words don't have influence, you can't trust what the person is is, is saying this person can't agree to abide by the most basic of agreements and commitments, um, then I think that's probably a good indication that some, some other course of action is called for. Let's move on to this topic, the shame of loving the wayward. Uh, what does that mean? What's that about? Well, I think when we think about, you know, if, if you're a parent, for example, and you're and your and your child has has kind of gone off the rails, or you know you're you're in a marriage relationship, and your your spouse has has forsaken you know you for you know, another. Then I think there can be just a whole host of attendant shame that comes with that, and um, and I think that that the propensity to 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 respond to shame is to hide. You know, the propensity is to is to cover up, to not disclose, to um, you know, to to, to 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 separate yourself from community. So, really, what we're speaking there is how important it is, particularly for Christians, but to have the community of faith, the, the church, walking alongside of you, listening, giving voice to your those shames, and really helping people to to bring those things to the light. So they can be really ministered and cared for. Now, Paul, let's talk about this one, the wall of weariness. Mm. What, what, is that? what is that? I think there is a, there is a, there's a place in which, you know, people who've been trying to love the wayward um, over a long period of time just grow tired. There's just this sense of, is this ever going to end? You know, I've been, I've been walking through a difficult circumstance with, you know, with this person with, with addictions, with, with failures, with lost jobs, lost income. And there's just, and there can be this attendant factor of weariness that comes into play. And so we're really trying to, to address that and hold out the gospel as, you know, the source of strength and life for folks in those situations, the source of grace that comes from the community of, of faith. But, but these these last chapters had are really designed to speak to those who are on the other side of the wayward equation. You know, not not so much those who have rebelled, but those who are kind of left to pick up 
to pieces, and we're just trying to acknowledge the need for, for care for them personally. Now let's move to another interesting topic called Faith for Barren Times. Paul, explain that one. You know, Pat, at the end of the day, um, Rugged Love, this book, is not a, it's not a to-do list or a checklist or a manual. If you do these five things, then your, your prodigal is going to run home, so to speak. We, we acknowledge that ultimately these things are in the providence of God and His sovereign hand. And, and oftentimes this just means we do what we can do, and then we wait on God to, to only do what He can do. And whether it's Hannah, you know, waiting for, um, you know, years before she's given a son by the Lord Samuel, um, whether it's, um, I mean, we can think of a whole host of, 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 of biblical examples where God's people are called, you know, the Old Testament prophets are called to wait in faith, even when there doesn't seem seemingly to be any fruit, any spiritual fruit to speak of. So we're really talking about what is what is biblical faith mean? You know, what does it mean to set our eyes not on what is what is what is seen, but on what is unseen? How do we entrust ourselves to God and his sovereign care and know that as much as we love our prodigal, our our heavenly father loves them even more, infinitely more, eternally more than we do. You say at the end of the book, grace wins exclamation point. Uh, what, what, what are you telling us there? Ultimately, the grace of God is victorious. Regardless of what happens to our prodigal or wayward person, whether they ultimately turn back to God or not, we know that, that God's grace is enough for us. We know that, that, that we can ultimately entrust ourselves to God's care, um, knowing that Jesus died for us, that we have eternal hope, that we can trust in Him, and that, and that ultimately, God, God will have His way. Now, we may not understand His way, we may not agree to His way, but ultimately, we, we, we know that whatever He does, it's because He loves His people, and because He wants to pour His grace out on them. And we're just calling people to look forward and hope to what God will do and can do. Paul, in the counseling that you and Dave do, uh, how often do you see this issue of waywardness, wayward people? Yeah, I, you know, Pat, I think one of the big, the shocking things about first getting into pastoral ministry, you know, 25 years ago or 20 years ago, was how so often this, this was the motif, you know, whether it was a couple coming into marriage counseling, you know, oftentimes there things were just um, really when you dug beneath the surface, you really found that there was either some hidden agenda or some, um, you know, w- one partner was less committed to the marriage than the other. And you kind of had to get at that or else none of the other counseling worked. Um, we, you know, the same thing with, 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 with children, you know, wayward, wayward folks in the, in the community. We just found that, you know, not in every case of, of course, but, but, but in many, many circumstances, this seemed to be an underlying theme. And again, we're all wayward, but we're defining waywardness in a way that says, I'm wayward and I don't want to change. I'm wayward and I'm not really interested at this time in my life and repentance and turning to Christ and, and those sort of things. And so in that way, it just it seems to be a, a, a real need. I was going to ask you this, and you may just have answered it, uh, can you explain, how do you explain uh, the spiritual dynamics at work in the heart of the prodigal? Yeah. Have we covered that, or is there more you need to say? Well, I, I think ultimately we all sin, um, and so we're, 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 we're all prodigals. But I think Paul talks about how, how godly sorrow leads to repentance, worldly sorrow leads to death. And, and, and oftentimes with prodigals, there is a sense in which they are sorrowful, but maybe they're sorrowful about getting caught or sorrowful about what they've lost or sorrowful about the guilt they feel. But it's not a real godly sorrow because it's not propelling them towards Christ. It's not propelling them towards repentance and, and change. And so I think that, that we're, what we're really trying to grab, grab hold of here is that 
one of the key indicators of true biblical faith is not perfection, but, but a dissatisfaction with imperfection and a, and a desire to grow, a desire to change. And I think that's kind of at the core dynamic of the heart of prodigal, which oftentimes just means bringing people back to their basic faith commitment. Where are you with God? You know, they may think it's a mom and dad issue or a spouse issue or a child issue or whatever, but ultimately these are God issues. Where, where are you in relationship to him and his word? And so I think that kind of helps us understand a little better oftentimes what's going on in people's hearts. Paul, what happens when a seemingly strong Christian uh, goes off the deep end and, and becomes a wayward uh, do you, wow. do you see that often? And, and what, what, what's, what's happening there? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a, that's a theological, you know, that's a, that, that's a theological, you know, uh, tension point where oftentimes it seems that scripture is, is most interested in, in three kinds of people, you know, non-Christians, Christians, and then Christians who, who say they're Christians or might even be deceived about the fact that they are Christians, and, and, and the warning in God's Word for them to come back. I mean, that's why the book of James was written. That's why the book of, of Hebrews was written, the, the book of First John. And I think in those sort of circumstances, I mean, we do want to be careful that we're not pointing fingers and, and, and trying to judge people's hearts, because we don't know. I mean, if you look at David, King David, in the Bible, he was wayward for a long time in his life, you know, had a had an affair and had you know committed murder and covered it up, and so at any point in time in there, he would have looked awfully you know <laughs> unregenerate. But 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 the key was that when confronted, he repented and responded you know through Nathan. And so I think that's always the key indicator. You know, is it's not so much what you've done, but what are you going to do next? And I think for those for those. People who have the spirit of Christ in them, they will, they will eventually. There, there's a point where they turn, they respond, they repent. Maybe not perfectly, maybe very imperfectly. But I'm much more concerned about about the person who doesn't seem to have a conscience, who doesn't seem to be impacted, just is sort of shaking their fist at God and saying, "I'm going this way, and no one can tell me otherwise." Paul Gilbert has been our guest. From Tallahassee, the book Letting Go. We've got more after this right here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word, in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Hey everybody, Pete Picacci, Morning Guy on the Word. And we'd like to thank our Church of the Week, Mosaic Church in Oakland, where Pastor Renaud Vanderreet welcomes you with a unique approach to serving you in the kingdom. Go online to thisismosaic.org for the many service times and locations. We invite you to learn more about Mosaic when you tune in for our Church of the Week program, hosted by Alan Dempsey, Sunday afternoon at 2. Alan talks with Pastor Vanderreet, who will teach with a special message in Romans 1-1, just for our radio audience. Again, thanks to Mosaic Church in Oakland, our Word Church of the Week. This is Dennis McKenzie for Families by Design. Strong families are designed by God. Do you want your family designed by God? For inspirational principles for today's families, listen to Families by Design with your host, Dr. Daniel Forbes, and attorney, Delton Chen. Families by Design airs every Sunday at 9 p.m. That's Families by Design on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Attention. If you or a loved one has been surgically implanted with a hernia mesh implant, you may be at risk. Many mesh products used in hernia surgeries are defective and have been linked to severe complications, including chronic pain, infections, bowel obstruction, internal injury, or the need for corrective surgery. Even the FDA has issued warnings on mesh products. If you or a loved one has a hernia mesh implant and have experienced any of these symptoms, you may be entitled to significant compensation. The team at United Law will provide a free, no-obligation evaluation with over a billion 
billion recovered for victims of defective drugs and devices. United Law can help. The deadline to file your claim is approaching fast, and you need to act. So if you or a loved one has a hernia mesh implant that has caused chronic pain, infection, bowel obstruction, internal injury, or the need for corrective surgery, call United Law today and get the compensation you deserve. Call 800-755-5002. 800-755-5002. That's 800-755-5002. Join the Orlando Bible Church Saturday afternoon from 5 to 6 for What Sayeth the Scripture. Bring your Bible for an hour-long call-in program on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN, the intersection of faith and reason. Tune in at 3 p.m. to hear me, Carmen, on my new show, The Reconnect. Let's bring God back into the conversation. Carmen LeBurge, The Reconnect, week afternoons at 3, 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Paul Gilbert, our guest in that first half hour, uh, co-author of Letting Go. Kara uh, Powell joins us from Pasadena, California. Uh, she is the executive director of the Fuller Youth Institute, faculty member at Fuller Theological Seminary, and along with a couple of her cohorts, Jake Mulder and Brad Griffin. They've written a book called Growing Young, Six Essential Strategies to Help Young People Discover and Love Your Church. Kara, thanks for joining me. How you doing? Uh, my pleasure. I'm doing great. Really looking forward to a good conversation here. What triggered the three of you uh, to write this book? Why was it important? Yeah, great question. Well, I'm a faculty member at Fuller Seminary, and the three of us together uh, work with the team at the Fuller Youth Institute, and we were really burdened by what the best research shows is happening in churches today. Um, The typical church is shrinking. Um, No major denomination in the U.S. is growing, and not only is it shrinking, it's also aging. 18 to 29-year-olds make up almost 20% of our population, but only 10% of U.S. churchgoers. So we at the Fuller Youth Institute, in the midst of a lot of churches aging and shrinking, we wanted to study the bright spots. So we identified 250 churches that are growing and growing young and doing amazing work with 15 to 29-year-olds. Well, let's uh, let's plow in. Yes. Uh, number one, you opened by saying, growing young, what congregations are doing right? Uh, fill us in. Yeah. And one of our really big first surprises was there's a lot of myths about what congregations need to do in order to reach 15 to 29-year-olds, kind of that teenager and young adult audience. And this is good news for every one of your listeners in every church um, that's affected by your important radio message, because here's some good news. You don't have to be a particular size. Um, to be of church in order to have an impact with young people. You don't have to be a particular denomination or lack thereof. You don't have to be a particularly hip or cool churches. Sure, we had those in our sample, but we also had some churches and some leaders who were not so cool and not so hip. So, you know, in our book, we get into these 10 myths that churches assume they have to have in order to successfully love and serve teenagers and young adults, and we dismantle those myths, and instead we've identified six core commitments that are common in churches doing great work with young people today. Unlock keychain leadership, sharing power with the right people at the right time. Uh, What does all that mean? Yeah, I'm glad you asked. Um, As we set about to study these churches, we also looked at the order in which these six core commitments tended to happen, and leadership was often the very first thing. Um, And it had to do with leaders having a particular vision and burden for young people. And a lot of times we assume that leaders need to be um, young and hip in order to reach young people, and we certainly had those in our 250 churches that are growing young. But really what was more common is that leaders showed um, keychain leadership. And what we mean by 
that is they recognize the keys, meaning the authority and power and influence they have in their church, not literal keys, but more metaphorical keys. They, re- they recognize those keys, and they were quick to hand those keys over to young people. So they were always asking, how can I take this responsibility? How can I take this role? How can I take this task? And somehow empower a young person who is gifted and may be called, how can I somehow hand the keys over to them so that they can lead with me and maybe even eventually take over this role? Kara Powell joins us from Pasadena, California. Uh, we're talking about her book, uh, Growing Young. Now, Kara, emphasize or empath excuse me, empathize with today's young people. Yeah. Why 25 is the new 15, Yep, <laughs> and 15 is the new 25. Exactly. Uh, un- unravel that one for us. Yeah, so that's the second of our core commitments of churches that are growing young. And, you know, so often today, we as adults over 29, we judge young people. You know, we, we the two most common phrases we tend to hear about young people today is they are lazy and entitled. Um, and that's maybe true at times, but it's so unfair to make that the general categorization we use to describe young people today. And so these churches that are growing young, instead of judging young people, they journey with them. And they realize that the journey of a young person is different today than it was when some of us were young people. Um, In many ways, young people are facing more and more developmental pressures and and stressors earlier. You know, my kids are 16, 14, and 10, and sometimes I'm amazed at what they face. And, you know, we try to protect our kids a lot, and nonetheless, what they face and what they're aware of in our culture and world. So on the one hand, there's this real acceleration of pressure for teenagers. But on the other hand, and this is where uh, 25 is the new 15, the typical young adult today is, is getting married five years later, having babies five years later, becoming financially independent five years later. And so they're turning these markers of – they're turning the corner on these markers of adulthood significantly later than previous generations. And so, you know, what it means is, is kind of from driver's license to marriage license takes a lot longer than maybe for some of us when we were young people. But instead of being critical of especially college students and young adults today, these churches listened to them. They didn't label them, but they learned from them. They didn't treat young people as pariahs, but really as prophets in the church. And that's what allowed the church to thrive in its work with young people. Take Jesus' message seriously. What's young about the good news? Yeah. Uh, Run with that one. Yeah, this is the third of the six core commitments of churches that are growing young. And, you know, one of my favorite interviews of the over 1,000 interviews we conducted, one of my favorite interviews was one with a young woman at one of these great churches who was in her late 20s. And, you know, we as, as, as faculty at Fuller Seminary, we had crafted the questions. And so one of the questions would, how would you, was, how would you uh, describe Christianity? And a Fuller PhD student who was doing this interview asked that question, and this young woman in her late 20s said, well, um, I'm not really sure how to describe Christianity, but can I tell you who Jesus is and what Jesus means in my life? Mm. I mean, that, that was her drop-the-mic moment, um, and she, she took us fuller faculty to school because we didn't even realize the flaw in our question, but, but out of her own mouth, we saw it, is for young people today, it's not so much about Christianity, per se, because Christianity can be awkward and confusing, but it's about the love and grace of Jesus Christ, because while Christianity can be awkward and confusing, Jesus is always magnetic. And these churches were ruthless about pointing people to Jesus. Um, They were constantly asking, how do we peel away the layers of maybe cultural Christianity and and stay riveted on Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and teachings? Um, And so, you know, they invited young people not only into eternal life after we die, but into real life in the present, a life that's infused with what it means to follow Jesus. Now, uh, I'd like you, uh, Carrie, to talk about this next topic, fuel a warm community. Yeah. Warm is the new cool. Yeah. Uh, What does that mean? Yeah, this was one of the more fascinating aspects of our research. When we asked the young people in these 250 congregations growing young how they would describe their church, one of the, the major terms they used is they said, it's like family. It's like family. And, you know, young people today, teenagers and young adults, they are hungry 
for a loving family, and often their congregation became that loving family. I want to tell you the story about uh, a guy named Bill, uh, actually in Pennsylvania. Uh, we, Bill's church was one that was nominated, and, and we decided we were actually even going to visit uh, this church. We were able to visit 12 of the 250 churches we studied. And so before we went to this church in Pennsylvania, we asked the young people, you know, what do you love about their church? And they kept talking about this guy, Bill, and how Bill would show up at their soccer games and show up at their graduations. And, you know, the 22-year-olds who say they'd take him, Bill would take him out for coffee. And so we're thinking, Bill sounds amazing. We've got to meet Bill. Well, we get to Pennsylvania, the research team does, and we meet Bill. And Bill is over 70 years old. And Bill had a tough adolescence himself. Um, he remembers as a teenager, young adult, that nobody was sitting in the stands at his game. Nobody, no adult was cheering him on at his major life events. So he has vowed that that is not going to be true at his church. And so he's mobilizing adults, often senior adults, to show up at kids' events to go out to lunch, coffee, breakfast with young adults. Now, Bill would be the first to tell you he's not particularly young or hip, but he represents what you just said, and we actually heard this from a senior pastor we interviewed during the course of our research, that when it comes to young people today, warm is the new cool. What they want is they want to experience what it feels like to be part of a family, and you don't have to be a particular age or life stage in order to offer that to young people. My guest is Kara Powell. We're talking about her book, Growing Young. Now, Kara, prioritize young people and families everywhere from rhetoric to reality. Yeah. Yeah, that is the fifth of the core commitments that that we arrived at, that we unearthed as we studied these 250 churches that were growing young. And it's really kind of the hinge point. Um, of church's effectiveness, because congregations can do the first four things we've talked about. They can show key chain leadership. They can empathize with young people. They can teach and embody Jesus' message, and they can be a warm community. And they can, churches can do all that and be great churches, but not necessarily be effective with teenagers and emerging adults. And so what, the, what this hinge point that sets apart churches from, who are good churches from churches really effective with teenagers and young adults is that they're prioritizing young people. They're paying attention to young people. Now, often that's reflected in their budget or their staffing, um, but it doesn't have to be about money or personnel. You know, one of the churches that we studied is a, a 200-person church here in Southern California that's Latino, and um, and the adults in the church are primarily have English as their first language. And the adults realize that in order to engage young people who are speaking more and more English, and for many of the young people in the church and the community, English is their first language. These adults said, you know what, we are going um, to offer parts of our worship service in English. Now, some of these adults don't understand much English. Some of these adults are now learning English. It motivated largely because they want to be able to dialogue with young people and have their church connect with young people. So for this particular congregation, it wasn't about personnel or, or budget or even facility. It was about the congregation asking, how do we prioritize young people? And what what cost are we willing to pay in order to make that choice? So, you know, as I've said to my own church here in Southern California, with Easter coming up, with short-term mission trips this summer, you know, anything that we're doing, I just wish that one of our first five questions was, how does this relate to what God is doing in our teenagers and young adults? And we just kept teenagers and young adults at the forefront of our minds. Uh, Kara, I'd like you to talk about Be the Best Neighbors, Loving and Shaping Your World Well. Yeah, that was the sixth of our core commitments. And our final core commitment, um, this might not be surprising to your listeners, but young people, they want to impact the world around them. And in the 250 churches we studied, young people were, were taking amazing and courageous and bold steps in order to neighbor well, both locally, um, nationally, and, and even globally. And, you know, we often get asked, is there a particular way that young people like to serve, and is it more about, you know, people they know in their immediate community or being involved in global service? And our answer is, you know, it was different for every church. But what every congregation was doing is they were trying to figure out how do we help our young people, and really all generations, live out Jesus' command to love our neighbors as ourselves. And, you know, what was funny is 
we thought these churches were really doing amazing work when it came to service and justice and neighboring well. But when we asked the young people in these churches, what do they wish their church was doing differently? They often said, we wish our church was doing more in our community. So, you know, we looked at these churches and thought, man, these are, these are exemplary churches that are, are really serving others well. And young people, because they're so hungry for service, they wanted their churches to do even more, which, which we thought was really encouraging. Did you notice in different parts of the country, uh, in your research, Kara, uh, different reactions from young people, or they, were they all the same across the country? Yeah, you know what, that was a good question, and that was actually um, an encouraging surprise to us, is, is we found that these six core commitments were important across the geographic spectrum. So suburban, urban, rural, you know, the northwest of the country, the southeast, um, you know, where I know this radio station is located, northeast, southwest, midwest. Um, you know, we were pretty ruthless to say, you know, regardless of geography, what are the most important things? And so these six core commitments cut across the board when it comes to geography or the type of church. Kara Powell, uh, our guest, more with Kara after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, right here on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word, in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Hi, everyone. Holly, your midday host here. The word lives here when you keep the faith Saturday nights at midnight. Three hours of just the right Bible message for you, packaged with your favorite contemporary Christian music. It's new. It's fresh. It's keep the faith Saturday nights at midnight on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The word. Join Richard Jordan, president of Grace School of the Bible, as he opens God's Word every Sunday afternoon at 530 on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. If you missed the Sunday broadcast, you can listen and study along with Dr. Jordan 24-7 at WTLN.com by clicking on the podcast tab and then Riches of Grace. Riches of Grace, a service of Grace Impact Ministries at graceimpact.org, 530 Sunday on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Word. It's long, over a thousand chapters, over 30,000 verses. No wonder so many of us have never read it cover to cover. Want to do it? Want to read the entire Bible? Start today at BibleStudyTools.com. BibleStudyTools.com includes Bible in a Year, an interactive plan for reading, learning, and understanding the Bible. Deepen your faith and impact your walk with God, one day at a time. Bible in a Year, just one of the new interactive Bible study tools at BibleStudyTools.com. Who are some of the heroes in your life? For me, it is those people who give of themselves without any thought about what they get in return. Hello, I'm Alan Treba, owner of American Family Funerals and Cremations and a servant. We want to thank our military veterans for their service and commitment in defending our freedoms and our way of life. We offer special packages and guidance to our military veterans and their families during times of loss. It is the least we can do for someone who has done so much for us. You know us. We are family. AmericanFamilyFunerals.com you're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Kara Powell is my guest. She's in Pasadena, California. Uh, we're talking about the book that she has helped write called Growing Young. Kara, uh, at the end of your book, uh, you've got a topic called Growing Young in Your Context. Yeah. How to Create a Plan for Change. Uh, Tell us about that. Yeah, you know, well, we've just talked about these six core commitments that were basically universal in the 250 churches that we studied. But, you know, this goes to your really good question about geography and, and, you know, what individual differences are there for churches. While these were common, how every church lived them out was different. And so part of what we wanted to do is end our book, Growing Young, with a plan to help any leader, any congregation member, any parent, any grandparent get some immediate ideas on what their church could do. 
Um, how do you cast vision for growing young? Um, how do you get others on your team? How do you really listen to young people themselves? That's one of the major mistakes that churches make, is they kind of come up with a plan without even talking to young people. Um, you know, whether it's 16-year-olds or, or 26-year-olds, so many times our team is approached by leaders or congregation members saying, well, you know, here's what we think we need to do, or here's the program or ministry we're planning on launching with young people. And then we ask, well, have you talked to any young people about it? And, you know, they get kind of sheepish and quiet and say, well, no, not really. Uh, and so, you know, so but, you know, at the end of the book, we wanted to give, um, give anybody who cares about young people some practical steps they could take. Um, to come up with a vision, to listen to young people, to create a team, to keep momentum, um, as well as how to persevere through obstacles. Because some of these changes we're talking about making, they're not easy. And so we wanted to give churches some courage and some ideas on, on how to overcome some of the common obstacles they might face. So all of that is in the final chapter of our book. What is keychain leadership that you talk about? What's that mean? Yeah, well, keychain leadership um, is really the most common aspect of leadership that we found in these churches that are growing young. Um, you know, leaders weren't necessarily dynamic. They weren't always phenomenal preachers. You know, they were good preachers, but they weren't always phenomenal preachers. But what they did is they figured out who are the, you know, what are the gifts of young adults, the passions, the sparks of young adults in my community, and how do I hand keys over myself, my own keys as a leader? As a congregation member of authority, power, and influence, how do I hand those over to young people? And how do I train them um, to take on new responsibilities at our church, whether it's a ministry to people who are homeless, or whether it's worship leading, or whether it's um, you know tech at our church, technology and sound and computer issues at our church, or whether it's a new outreach we want to do to, for people who don't know Jesus yet. How do we really involve young people at, at every stage? Because young people have amazing gifts and talents and callings, and these wise leaders recognized that and took the keys off their own keychain and handed them over to young adults who were called and developmentally ready for it. Carol, what is one practical step a leader or a church attender uh, could take this week to help their church grow young? Yeah, well, we we know that asking any church to do six new changes can be a little bit overwhelming. So what we've done is we've created a website um, geared to help any church take its first step. And so that website is churchesgrowingyoung.com. Again, that's churchesgrowingyoung.com. And on that website, there's a, an assessment that any church member, any volunteer, or paid, pastoral, whatever – leader, any role in a church can take. There's a free five-minute-long, five 18-question assessment that gives you a chance to look at your church and figure out, you know, how are we doing on keychain leadership? How are we doing on neighboring well? And then based on what we've learned from other churches like yours around the country, we not only help you diagnose how your church is doing, but we give you some tangible next steps. So all of that, as well as more information about the book and a host of free resources, is on churchesgrowingyoung.com. Kara, here's an interesting one. Your team, as I understand it, uh, also discovered a few surprising characteristics that churches don't need yeah. in order to engage young people. Yeah. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, this was actually some of my favorite aspects of the research. I think a lot of times we walk around... Um, it was certain assumptions about what it takes to do great ministry with young people. And, you know, our church, we think our church needs to be large or maybe in the middle of a city or, you know, or a certain kind of denomination or lack thereof. And, and the great news is God is working through a huge diversity of churches. So, you know, in terms of size, we had churches that were under 200 as well as over 10,000. Um, our churches were half, half of the churches that we found that are growing young, we're not predominantly white. So there's amazing ethnic diversity in what God is doing in young people. Um, churches, some came from a wide array of denominations, as well as non-denominational churches. Um, churches. Some churches were less than five years old in relatively new church plants, but some of the most amazing churches we studied were over 100 years old. So, you know, it just goes to show that regardless of what church you're a part of, it's never too late to start thinking and praying about which of these six core commitments should we move forward on 
to help better reach teenagers and young adults in our community. Tell me a little bit more about the Fuller Youth Institute. Yeah, yeah, I'd be happy to. So I'm the executive director, and we have an amazing team of, um, of students as well as graduates from Fuller Seminary and other people in the community. And our mission is to equip young people with the faith that they need. We believe in the church, we believe in young people, and we also know that so many times leaders and parents and grandparents were kind of guessing about how to best show young people Jesus' love and grace and mission. So we want to remove some of the guesswork. We want to answer some of the toughest questions that um, families and churches have about young people and faith. So we take the best research that Fuller and others are doing. So in this case, it's, you know, our, our, our really four years of research of 250 congregations, 10,000 pages of data we collected, um, 10,000 hours of research work. We've turned all of that into a book as well as churchesgrowingyoung.com website with a host of free resources. Uh, so that so that leaders and parents and grandparents, we don't have to guess anymore. We have much better ideas that are informed by research as well as informed by proven practices of what actually works in churches and families today. I want you to tell me about Fuller Theological Seminary. Carrie, we've all heard about it. Yeah. Uh, but, but tell me about that famous institution. Yeah, sure. I'd be happy to. So I'm an alum of Fuller, and I'm heavily biased. I think Fuller's a phenomenal place to study and learn, and really our mission is to form uh, kingdom leaders globally uh, in their own vocational calling. And so we are actually the largest evangelical seminary in the world, and Mm. while we have kind of our main campus in Pasadena, we have regional campuses all over the country, as well as extensive online programs and courses. So anybody who's looking for a deeper understanding in any of our three schools, we have a school of theology where I'm a faculty member and alum, we have our school of intercultural studies, and we have our school of, uh, of psychology, any of those three schools, if, if any of your listeners want to go deeper in courses, even taking a course or a full-on degree, we have so many amazing options that they can choose from. So they can visit our website, fuller.edu, to find out more about Fuller overall. Kara, I want you to do this for us. Uh, we've had this discussion about your book, uh, Growing Young, and I want you to summarize it for us to people who are listening. Oh, we've got about a minute, okay? So just, sure. just, I'd be happy to. just wrap, wrap up our discussion uh, so that we can put a nice tight ribbon on it, okay? Yeah, well, in the midst of so many churches aging and shrinking, we don't have to fall into that trap. Any church by following the research that we've done, by, by making progress in one or more of these six core commitments, any church can be more effective in loving and serving teenagers and young adults and pointing them to the answers that they're desperately longing for that I believe are, are found best in the gospel. How are people responding to the book, Kara? Oh, wonderfully well. We're so encouraged, Pat. I mean, people are buying the book. They're buying it for their entire leadership team at their church. They're using it in small groups. Um, sometimes pastors are bringing it into their church and introducing it. Other times it's board members or congregation members who first really alert the church to what this research is and what it can mean for their congregation. So we're just humble and grateful and thanking the Lord for how he's using this research. Kara Powell has been our guest. we got to wrap up right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. How's that kitchen remodel coming along? Uh, I haven't found a reliable contractor and have no idea where to start. What about Home Advisor? Uh, home what? Home Advisor. They match you to pre-screened and top-rated pros for any kind of home project. You can even check pricing and book appointments online. What's the catch? No catch. Home Advisor is completely free to use. Really? I'll check it out. Go to HomeAdvisor.com or download the free app. Home Advisor. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Thanks for joining us, folks. Paul Gilbert, our guest in that first half hour, uh, talking about his book, Letting Go. And then Kara Powell joined us from Pasadena, California. 
And we had a discussion about the book that she's put together called Growing Young. Uh, My latest book is out. It's called The Success Intersection. It's about your greatest talent intersecting with your greatest passion. And when that happens, uh, you have found your sweet spot in life. Uh, The book is in bookstores now and Amazon.com. Always a wonderful way to order books. Well, folks, have a wonderful day tomorrow in church with your family and enjoy this marvelous weather uh, here in Central Florida in the week ahead. And we'll be back next weekend for more on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word, in Orlando, Florida. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at the same time where faith comes by hearing. 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.